0: So there are moments in cinema, moments when you're watching a movie that catch the crowd unaware, you know, things that they didn't see coming, and perhaps there were hints laid out before them, and one of the most iconic plot twists, a lot of, uh, a lo- a lot of folks on the internet would put this as the number two plot twist in the arena film is in The Empire Strikes Back, right? Darth Vader revealing his true identity to Luke Skywalker, I am your father, that iconic quote and I, I have to imagine, you know, this came out before I was born, uh, but I have to imagine what it was like for those in the theater. I imagine that they would have let out a collective gasp. But should this has come as a total surprise to them, because there were elements of foreshadowing, uh, There's, uh, Internet's full of them, places where it's like this was clear that this was the goal to begin with. Uh, most obvious may have been that the word Vader is Dutch for father, uh, but if you don't know Dutch, maybe you wouldn't have seen that coming. Now, many of these plot twists we, we take as common knowledge, you know, being some 40-plus years beyond, because there's such familiarity with them, is so widespread. And, and so we, we relish the opportunities for someone with kind of a, a naive perspective, not having this, this understanding to see them with fresh eyes so we can live through their experience. And in fact, the, the number one plot twist, you all might be able to guess what it is, but it's the sixth sense, and the reason I didn't use that one is because I didn't know if Elizabeth would be in here and I don't want to ruin it for her because I want to I see her reaction when that, when that, uh, someday when we watch that movie. Anyway, sometimes I feel like that's how we approach Jesus. We have, if we've spent significant time in the church, we come to expect these Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus, And so they have a tendency to lose that alluring, you know, collective gasps of the first hearers as those pieces finally click into place in their minds. This morning, as we're in the midst of Ezekiel, we're going to be looking at a dual oracle. And by that I mean it's an oracle, a statement of prophecy of judgment as well as salvation. It's kind of twofold. There's judgment against shepherds, against the fat sheep, and I'll explain what that means in a few minutes. But this passage also presents the strongest prophecy about Jesus Christ in the book of Ezekiel. Through this foreshadowing, we'll see that this is also an oracle of salvation to those who call upon the name of the Lord. So if you'd open your Bibles or Bible apps or follow along however you want to, uh, we're going to look at Ezekiel, chapter 34. And we'll, we'll, we're not going to cover the entire chapter, but we're going to cover it in a few chunks. So first, we're going to see some problems with the shepherds. In fact, uh, the ESV heading, I think, says something like, woe to the shepherds, or that's like the, the, the uh, um, yeah, some of the, the, the words in there. Uh, second, we'll look at some issues within the flock itself, We'll get to the foreshadowing of Jesus and then finally close with some application. So Hopefully that gave you, let me just kind of spin in time so that you can find the passage. Hopefully you've had a chance to find it. Follow along with me as I read. So I'm going to do Ezekiel 34, 1 to 16 to start. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel They wandered all over, excuse me, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds had fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I'll rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down, and good grazing land. And on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Not injustice, in justice. Now, this is a pretty self-explanatory passage in terms of the theme of what God's trying to communicate. The primary interpretive key, what we need to understand to really unlock the passage, is deciphering the identity of the shepherds. Now, the shepherds that God are speaking against, it's an idiom that was used in the Hebrew scriptures to describe the kings of Israel and Judah, the leaders of the people. Now, you might have been able to gather that implicitly from the text, given kind of the role, the authority that they have in the text that's described, but the, the metaphor also borrows from explicit connections in the Old Testament. For example, 2 Samuel 5, chapter 5, verse 2, this is David, King David, being anointed king, and the Lord says to him when he, in his anointing, you will be the shepherd of God's people. Just as a shepherd was responsible for the well-being of the sheep, so too God says the kings of Israel were to care for the people that they're leading. But the opening verses show how how they have failed so woefully at this task. Instead of feeding and providing for the sheep, their positions of authority have been used for selfish gain. They're padding their pockets, they're deepening their wealth while the sheep suffer. I mean, look at verse 4. I mean it is demonstrably clear just how far from the ideal that they've wandered they should have been giving special attention to the weak they should have provided restorative healing to those who were sick the text says they haven't bound up the injured they've not sought those who have wandered off i mean we haven't gotten to the messianic portion of the prophecy yet but when i read this list It brings to mind to me the ministry of Jesus, that in the Gospels, in his mission, we see such clear examples of him accomplishing the positive side of these undertakings, that Jesus did what the kings of Israel and Judah failed to do. Now keep that in mind, when we get to the the latter part of the passage, I want to give some clear allusions that I think Jesus provides in the Gospels that's meant to link to this list. I want to draw your attention also to the last example in verse 4. My ESV text that I read from says, with force and harshness you have ruled them. The NIV says you have ruled them harshly and brutally. Now for someone who knows the scriptures in the original languages who was following along with this would have felt that this was a slap in the face to the leaders of Israel. Because these same words that are used to describe the way that the the kings of Israel were leading, right, this harshness and brutality, those are the exact same words that are used in Exodus chapter 1, 13 to 14. And that passage describes the way the Egyptians treated the Hebrew people when they were enslaved. And so Israel was God's chosen people. But God's saying, your rulers are really no different than those pagan kings around them. Harshness that they had historically experienced. God's saying, you're no better than them. As a result of this, the sheep have been scattered. There's no shepherd caring for them. No one is out looking for them. They are prey. They're sitting ducks. They're food for the wild animals. But we see the character of God. That God is not silent in this moment. He's not sitting on his hands. He promises that he will search for his sheep. This theme is of God as the master shepherd is picked up from Psalm 80, verse 1. That God, the one who is enthroned upon the cherubim, this king, is also the shepherd of Israel. And so we see in, in the latter part of the passage that I read, God providing words of hope and encouragement. Verse 13, he says that he will bring them home, something that I think was probably really relevant for them as they're sitting in exile. There'd be a time that God would bring them back. And Jerusalem, by the way, where this takes place, um, if you've been following along in the Bible reading plan, I want to say it was um, Ezekiel 24 that we read last Friday, Uh, but Ezekiel sees the fall of Jerusalem. So, we are now past the fall of Jerusalem. Everyone has been cost. Uh, brought into exile i know prior to this ezekiel was one of the like pre-exile people that the cream of the crop that they took aside but by the by the point of this oracle everybody's been carted over to to babylon so god is going to to bring them back from exile verse 15 he says that the sheep will be secure enough to lie down they're going to graze freely i don't know does that does that ring a bell does it make you think of anywhere else in scripture perhaps psalm 23 I would say probably the most famous of all psalms. Verse one: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. God's reign as a shepherd is described in terms here that involve the reversal of what we saw in the kings of Israel. Right? God is accomplishing those things that the kids, the kids, not the kids, the kings should have been doing all along. And, and this future hope climaxes in verse 16 with true justice being a marker of this reality That there's safety that they're secure there's food for everyone now let's go back to this text and continue to the next session, section and we'll see some of the additional problems with the flock All right the kings are not the only ones that are accountable for their deeds Ezekiel 34, I'm going to read 17 to 22. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the weak with your horns till you've scattered them abroad." I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I'll judge between sheep and sheep. In this section, God moves to another group of people in his oracle. This is another continuation of the oracle of judgment. Specifically, the text indicates the negative ways in which the goats and the fat sheep, these metaphors, have been harmful to the flock. So beyond just the kings... This is referencing those with power in society. Do you notice the language of kind of, you know, the side, the shoulder, right? They're, they're big and weighty and they can push everybody else out of their way. They've oppressed the weak with violence and they have taken the resources for themselves. They fattened themselves up to the detriment of the lean sheep. Now, as if those acts of selfishness were not bad enough, that bar gets raised in verses 18 and 19, right? Not only have they gorged themselves first, but they have trampled what is left, Whatever resources they didn't need, whatever they didn't consume, they've spoiled so that others can't use them. I mean, this this whole statement of judgment screams of the opulence of their society. Now, we're gonna get to, to... Jesus, we're going to get to some good news in a minute, but I I want to drill down. I feel the need to drill down on this a little bit this morning, because, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I read passages like this, and it's real easy to get angry at the fat sheep gorging themselves while others suffer, and whenever I, you know, think, okay, well, what does that look like in my own context? First place I go, those corporations, you know, the fat cats of Washington, their abundance, at the average, the the cost of the average American, the middle class, right? But as I've been reading this, I felt the Lord challenged me, right? Don't just look outside. Don't just look at those quote-unquote evil corporations, big pharma, big tech, whatever it might be, but look inwardly. How does this apply to us? I know it isn't comfortable, but I think that if we are honest, if we had to put ourselves in this text, I don't think we're the lean sheep. I think we're probably the fat sheep in our society as Americans. Because right? our American society is pretty, pretty opulent. Christians included are a part of this problem. We spoil goods. I think that's what really did it for me. We waste resources. Let me give you some statistics. These are from like the last 10 to 15 years. America makes up about four and a quarter percent, so under five percent of the world's population. Yet we use 17 percent of the world's energy, an amount quadruple to our population footprint. Now, just for a comparison, right, because a lot of the developed countries uh, use more energy than their footprint. But notice, we're we're four times. The European European Union has six percent of the global population and uses 10.4 percent. Of the world's energy. So they're like at what, I mean just under two double. China has 18% of the global population, uses 25% of the world's energy. They're not anywhere near double, one and a third maybe. With less than 5% of the global population, we use one-third of the world's paper, one-quarter of the world's oil, of coal, 27% of aluminum, and 19% of copper. Right? We are using resources that are disproportionate to our population. There, just on another front, some studies suggest that the world actually has enough food to feed everybody in the world, right? We we have enough food to feed 1.5 times the global population, but yet there are hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people who go hungry. Ron Sider uh, wrote a seminal work in 1977 titled, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And he walks through the the scriptures to show us how we're actually more like the oppressors of Egypt than those who were being oppressed in slavery as Israel. I mean, just as an example for our waste of food, in 2010, Americans had 430 we possessed 430 billion pounds of food, and we wasted 31% of it. And that contributes, right, significantly to landfill usage, to other waste, prevents people, you know, it's, it's the whole, I mean, it's, it's a little bit uh, overplayed, but the whole, like, if you don't eat your dinner, right, there's, there's starving children in Africa that want it, like, could use it, right, like, it's, it's a true statement. Now, the, the, the logistics of getting it there, you know, the, the, there's all kinds of complexities in that. But the reality is, we are a culture of waste. To me, that seems more like the fat sheep trampling the pasture, muddying the waters while the marginalized suffer. This rampant idolatry of consumption is not sustainable for our world. It's not good for our souls. I know I kind of like just dropped the bomb, created a dilemma, and I don't have answers to that dilemma, but I do think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be doing something about it. As I said earlier in the service, God called us to be stewards of this creation. If, if we're using four times our population, and we'll just say the, the, the oil, well, what happens if every human on earth needs to access that oil? There's not enough to go around. So what do we do about it? We should be rejecting the consumeristic tendencies of our culture, the unchecked capitalism that's full of waste. Now, there are people far smarter than me have written about this. I actually just last week finished a book. uh, Richard Foster, uh, we we went through his book, Celebration of Disciplines, All Those Spiritual Disciplines, earlier this year. He wrote a book in 1981 called Freedom of Simplicity, which even though it was written 42 years ago, it's still prophetic today. Because until we see ourselves and our own disproportionate consumption as part of the problem, we're going to be slow to change in this. And he's got some suggestions. It's a, it's a good book. I'm returning it to the library this week, so you can request it. The Carnegie Library has it. All right, let's get to some good news. After these statements of judgment against the shepherds and the fat sheep, the Lord promises coming restoration. So we're going to finish that paragraph. I I'd probably stopped somewhat suddenly there at verse 22. Let's jump back in. Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24, the promise of God. God says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I've spoken. Now, before we get to the fulfillment of Jesus, let's make sure we're putting this in the original context. So God has been lambasting the current rulers. He shared his sympathy that the house of Israel is like sheep scattered about. And earlier in our passage, he said that he would gather them up, that he would be a shepherd over them. But here he gives more details about the forthcoming shepherd, that this is going to be someone in the lineage of David. They would have read that as a political ruler over the people I mean this promise would have fulfilled the the covenant of David back in second Samuel 7 basically David promises to you know says he wants to build a temple for God and God says no you're not going to build a temple your son will build a temple but you know what you honored me in such a way that I'm going to make this covenant with you and saying that David's lineage would continue and one of his descendants would would be a king whose throne would be established forever Now to us, this is going back to that beginning, right, where you have these plot twists. For us, with the benefit of hindsight, this all screams Jesus Christ. But this would not have been obvious to the original hearers or even the contemporaries with Jesus. We've been discussing this in our small group as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. The people expected a militaristic political leader someone who was going to overthrow the burden of the Roman Empire upon them. You know, we, we say shepherd and we imagine Jesus, you know, with that, like that uh, uh, image of Jesus with, you know, carrying the lamb on his shoulders, you know, so tender, right? But shepherd here in our passage, the, the root of where they had was a, a king, a political and militaristic leader. But as we know, Jesus didn't come to take up the sword, but to take up a cross. In order to rescue his people. But as we read the Gospels, we cannot miss the significance on which his teaching intersects with this teaching and this particular prophecy. Let me read a few examples for you. And again, this is on top of all those like tangible healing elements of Jesus' ministry that fits with the caring of the sheep that we see in in uh, in verse 4 of of Ezekiel 35. So here's some very explicit claims of Jesus again, people saying, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God, never claimed to be anything special. It's like, if you know the context of this stuff, that's just, that's baloney. John eleven eleven, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, right? One of those I am statements, which also brings in that whole, you know, uh, reference to the name Yahweh, claiming the name Yahweh. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the context of that passage, what does he Comparing and contrasting himself to. We talked about it last fall, I think. He, he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I am better than these hired hands who don't actually care for the sheep. Uh, maybe another word for hired hand would be other shepherds who have done a pretty crummy job of it. Seems to fit with Ezekiel 34 pretty good. Luke 15, four to six. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. There we go, we get that little picture of Jesus. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, th- this is Luke 15. It- it's the three. There's three passages, three stories of uh, something that was lost but found. The third is the prodigal story of the prodigal son. I don't think that is an accident that one of the three stories about something that was lost, that Jesus uses the object of a lost sheep. Fits with what we saw in Ezekiel 34. Jesus is doing what the Israel's leaders, that Israel's shepherds were supposed to be doing. Here's another one, Matthew 9, verse 36. It says, when he, Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed And helpless like sheep without a shepherd fits right with Ezekiel 34 also this will be the last one Matthew 25 verse 32 this is more statements of judgment before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats I think that's an intentional metaphor highlighting that second part of the passage that we read this morning Focusing on the judgment of the fat sheep, also grouped with the the goats of our passage. So I've shared different passages from all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, highlighting this connection that I think Jesus was intentionally building, that he is showing that he is the fulfillment of this promised shepherd prince, this ruler that we find here in Ezekiel 34, that Jesus is the shepherd who cares for his sheep, that who cares for us. I, I don't have time to, to finish the rest of the chapter. You can read it for yourself if you want to, Ezekiel 34, 25 to 31, but it, it describes this future hope, what theologians call eschatological. That's just Eschatological is just like a study of the last days. right? This future hope where there is provision, where there is safety, there is security, where God lovingly calls his people to himself that he provides for them in perfect peace. And so we currently kind of live in this what they call this already but not yet time. Right? That Jesus has already come. He has already established his kingdom. He's claimed already to be this shepherd. We're living in a time when God's kingdom continues to expand on the earth with Jesus Christ as the shepherd king. So it's already here, but it's also a not yet. It's not yet here in all of its fullness. Right, the fullness of that kingdom has not yet been realized. And so what we do now and in this time between the times is anxiously await the fulfillment of those promises. And so as we live in this time, I, I want to provide a piece of application for us. Right, how, how are we to live then as a result as it relates to this theme of shepherds? And I think Peter gives us some insight. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. He says this of elders, and this would have been what Peter would have called kind of like the pastors, if you will, of their day. Shepherd the flock, and don't miss that, right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think Peter is also drawing on Jesus as the good shepherd, and even Ezekiel 34, right? Because he's he's saying, like, don't just do it for yourself, don't fatten yourselves up, but care for others. Not ruling harshly, but being gentle, with those in your care right? he's, he's keeping this metaphor going almost like G, right Jesus is the chief Shepherd so kind of like a this is like a business diagram right Jesus is the chief Shepherd but now he's got other shepherds who in his stead are caring for the flock so Jesus is the chief Shepherd until until he is returned has called church leaders to function as shepherds to care for their community And actually, the word shepherd in Latin is the word pastor. That's where we get the word pastor from. The pastor of a church is meant to be, first and foremost, a shepherd. But unfortunately, in our modern age, the word pastor seems to be more aligned with, like, CEO of a business. Again, I'm not not saying that business models of church are all bad. There's, There's something, there's value in strategy, there's value in efficiency. But I think sometimes we lean a little too heavily on it. So what does business exist for? It's there for profit, for the most part. And as we saw when it came to the indictments on the fat sheep, selfish consumption, profit at all costs, don't have a place in the economy of the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not saying that all business structures are bad, but left unchecked, I think, you know, if that's what our focus is, um, it, it, can, it can do damage now again I'm, i know i'm using this word pastor it's that's my title that's you know my to describe my role in the church but i think we we can all think more broadly about this because each of us i would argue has some degree of spiritual authority over someone else M- maybe it's your children whom you're responsible for maybe maybe you've been trying to help a friend at work connect with jesus Maybe a teacher friend who takes your drawing and puts it above their bed. And, you know, you've been gently feeding them elements of the faith. You know, all our middle schoolers are downstairs right now, but, you know, maybe you're a middle schooler who've been volunteering to help with the younger children of the church. You two will be middle schoolers next year. Maybe you've just been walking with Jesus for decades and younger believers look to you as an example how to live that faith out. I would argue that we can all be pastors, we can all be shepherds in someone's life. So the purpose of a shepherd was to protect and care for the sheep, not to serve for our own benefit, contrary to the shepherds we saw in our passage. You know, one of the quotes that I like regarding this role of pastor is that a pastor's job, a shepherd's job, is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And we're to care for the weak sheep, those who have been marginalized, those who wrestle with faith. We need to, comf- we need to comfort them. That's Jesus comforted them with compassion and support but we're also to afflict the comfortable, maybe chastising some fat sheep here and there. Now, even with that, the simplicity of that call, I would say that we regularly fail at both. I know I regularly fail at both. But the beauty is we don't, we don't do this alone. As Peter says, we've got, we've got a chief shepherd over us who we're waiting to return. Whom we look to as our model and our hope. And so my hope is, my desire would be, that as we think about those who we are in authority over, whether it be family structures, whether it be just influence in society, maybe it's work hierarchy, whatever it might be, that we would love people, especially the hurting with the compassion of Jesus, But that we would also be prophetic in our challenge to those who embody the spirits of the pharisees remember the pharisees were not you know again we we like as as christians like to tell everyone else why they're wrong outsiders and there's a place for a prophetic witness to our culture for sure but i think as it pertains to the shepherd right this metaphor of the the fat sheep there's a man i could you could i could keep this going right there's a point you keep wolves out but there's also a point where i'm what i'm talking about here is the interior how are we challenging those in which we have some degree of authority over in our own flocks the fat sheep making sure they're not nudging all the runts of the litter out of the way you know the pharisees like i said i think that's who we saw in jesus so anyway those are some things to think about you know we're waiting for our good shepherd to return uh, let me let me give you some themes to consider this week to think about so <clears throat> i'm not suggesting that this passage should correspond a one-to-one correspondence with American government or leadership. But, right, if we look at Ezekiel 34 and the chastisement on the shepherds, what elements should be present in compassionate and servant, and dare I say, political leadership? And then think about what's missing from our political experience. Again, if we're thinking, if we're remembering the context of the passage, Ezekiel 34 as shepherds is about political leaders. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch for us to say hey these political leaders in israel were doing something wrong what lessons can we glean from that and see where our political experience might be a little bit broken too second is this as we think about perhaps if we are fat sheep where is the holy spirit bring conviction of your pursuit of excess how can you seek transformation in this area of life Lastly, we all might be shepherds in some way, but we have one good shepherd. shepherd, Jesus, are you living? Are you in his flock? Or are you off wandering off somewhere? Have you seen those videos of, you know, Jesus? I don't know. I've seen it on, like, Instagram. But it's a shepherd, like, pulling this sheep out of a ditch and then it like runs away, and then it does a U-turn, and it just like within five seconds is right back in that ditch, and it's, it's a point of like me after Jesus rescues me. A, there's a point, Jesus is rescuing us, but are we actually like following and heeding his advice, listening to his voice, making sure we're not just running back right into that same trough again and getting ourselves stuck? And the question is why or why not? Why do you think? You know, what's, what's alluring out there if you find yourself not in it? So anyway, those are some themes to think about. Let me pray, and We'll close with, with another song. God, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. That you, as we find ourselves scattered amongst the countryside, you don't just say those stupid sheep keep getting lost, but you come and find us. Uh, You you do as you shared Jesus in in Luke 15, you do something that would be considered irresponsible in that day and age, leaving all the the good sheep behind to go rescue that one, but may that be meaningful to us to understand the lengths that you would go to. It seems to defy rationality and defy reason to rescue us. Lord, as we are part of your flock, may we be a people who listen to the sound of your voice, and who seek to be uh, uh, caretakers of others in this flock, drawing them closer to you. God, as we go from this place, may we have your Spirit in us to guide us in the path that you would have us walk. in. In Christ's name, amen.